Hi, I'm Evan from That's So Rich, the Changeover Podcast, and you're listening to the Changeover Podcast. tennis enthusiasts, and welcome back to the Changeover Podcast. I am your host, Evan, along with my co-host, Ben, and we are back to bring you the latest in Roland Garros action. Uh, Strap in today. We got a good one for you. It is going to be pretty much all Roland Garros themed. Nothing else to talk about today. We're just going to fly off the cuff on this one, and I'm excited for it. What about you, Ben? Yes. Hey, Evan. Hey, everybody. I'm also very excited. Great to be there with you. Yeah, can't wait to dive into all the weird things that have happened in this first week. (laughs) Yeah, weird indeed. All right. (laughs) But um, (laughs) before we get into uh, some of our some of our ill-fated picks from last week, uh, let's do a quick bit of trivia for you. (laughs) I know I know we uh, skipped this segment last week. We try to sprinkle it in when we have the time for it. And uh, I think I think we got a good one here today. Uh, A quick one, though. Nothing too major, but keeping in theme with the Changeover podcast, I just, I had to ask you a not only Roland Garros themed trivia, but also an Andy Roddick themed trivia. Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Roland Garros, most notably, is Andy Roddick's least productive (laughs) Grand Slam. (laughs) And by uh, by far, yeah. I was just going through earlier today seeing kind of what his best result was and made me think well what do you think Andy Roddick's best result was at Roland Garros at Roland Garros yes this this is the trivia question by the way is it third round it is not third round is it round of 16 I feel like if I give you any any hints you'll probably get it is is that considered the fourth round yeah Nah, then yes, correct. I think, right? It is. Yes, fourth round. Okay. <laughs> on on the website I found it, it said fourth round. Um, the fourth round. So he's made the technically the second week before one time. Uh, yes, yes. He's made it one time. Uh, and then follow-up question. Any? Can you hazard a guess at what year that was? Oh, I will gosh. say it was a pretty good year for Andy Roddick. 2009. Correct. It was 2009. Yes. <laughs> he made it. Oh, man. Followed into that heartbreaker of a defeat in the 2009 Wimbledon Championship, the, the marathon five-setter against Federer there. Oh, wow. I forgot he was even having a good year at the French rolling into that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, uh, respectively, standards. a good year. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah the, that is the only time he's made it into the, the fourth round at the French. He usually bows out around the third round, if not the first. Um, if he shows up, I think there were a good handful of times he didn't even play the French. So that's what we have for trivia for you guys today. Um, just had to, had to add that in there. Wait, wait, uh, Samantha, you want to ask your guest a trivia question? She said, sure. Okay. (laughs) Now I don't know what she's actually going to ask you. This is good. This is going to be one second, everyone. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Great. Here's your trivia question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Whose birthday was it? Which tennis player had a birthday exactly three days ago? <laughs> three days ago. That was Rafa Nadal. 
Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. <laughs> oh, too bad I didn't cue that up. I know. All right. See ya. <laughs> see ya. Okay, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, hoping that it would be uh, Stanislaus themed. But... Yeah, true that. I'm surprised she didn't ask you something Stan themed. She probably just has a list of those. Throwback to the 2015 champion. We also have my sister Rachel here in Nuremberg with us, so things are getting pretty exciting over here at our apartment. Truly a family affair here on the changeover. Yeah, this is the most people we've had in this apartment since forever, so. (laughs) (laughs) Good times. (laughs) All right. Well, that'll take us right into Roland Garros. I think we're just kind of go through the first week of action here, talk about... We'll, we'll touch on our brackets, we'll touch on the matchups, we'll touch on some things that happened in the first week, um, but then we also have to give you the uh, semifinals through the finalist and eventually the winner of our brackets, so we will do that as well. So in this first week, um, I don't know how you want to start this out, Ben. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Like you mentioned before, we're doing, we're pretty much just flying by the seat of our pants here, so I mean, Evan, maybe one thing that it would interest me and probably me alone is if you could just reflect on <laughs> reflect on your emotional experience hey. after the first week of Roland Garros 2021. I'm thinking about one particular section of the draw, maybe even one particular match, but maybe we save that one for later. Uh, <laughs> just in general, what what was your impression? Okay, my impression was uh, this right here. I had that queued up just in case that <laughs> I needed it. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so... Uh, so that was... Uh, the lyrics go, you had a bad day, but in, in terms of day, I was thinking you had a bad week. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was a trip down memory lane to the pool in, I don't know, the seventh grade or something. Oh, man. That, yeah, that song's straight out of, what, 2006 or something like that? Um, yeah, at least. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, I don't know. Like, okay. So if you go and look at our brackets here, we actually, we have, I don't think it was mentioned on the last podcast, but we have a new addition, and that is Tennis Gal 228. And that is my my Welcome. lovely fiance. Um, she has been dragged into this um, family affair as well. And uh, pretty much the day she said, um, yes to the engagement and uh, <laughs> right of passage tennis gal exactly things are looking good so we have four of us here now in the changeover bracket pool so uh, comparatively I am sitting in second so I, I can't complain too much but man that first that first couple rounds really felt like a kick in the cojones uh, <laughs> for me because I pretty much all my upsets did not did not happen. Um, there's a lot of red. I'm looking at my bracket right now. So some Maybe of the ones I will mention. Maybe if you would pick T-Pain once in your life. 
Nah, I know. Okay. <laughs> well, if you want to get into the T-Pain thing, <laughs> then I will say that you laughed at me for the Christopher O'Connell pick, and he took him to 10-8 in the fifth set. Evan, that was a fluke. Of course that was he not took him a to, fluke. Of course I was watching that match. I was, was watching that match, too. a matter of inches that it, O'Connell lost that match, T-Paul. But he did lose. And I, in the won. end, he did. But again, give me that bet five times out of ten. He's winning 50% of those matches. I'm picking O'Connell. came within inches of defeating Daniil Medvedev at a Grand Slam. Inches? <laughs> Are you kidding me? He took a set and then he got throttled. He took an entire set off of Daniil Medvedev. And might I add, the only set Medvedev has lost this entire tournament. That is he true. He came within inches. He also played... I don't know. He has some decent wins, but unfortunately, I think his win against Garen was a little bit a uh, product of the, the field that Garen had to go through. Um, yeah, I think he was handicapped from his last results, unfortunately. Which makes us sound better because we were pretty adamant about Garen getting through this section. Uh, both we were, I uh, think we both verbatim mentioned yeah. that even if Medvedev does get through yeah. that section of the draw, he would never be Garen. Oh my gosh. Medvedev's never won a match here. <laughs> <laughs> he sucks on clay. He says it himself. Yeah, he doesn't even like it. He does say it himself and he won. He, he does. Which is a little bit annoying because now he's what? Into, is it the quarters now? Oh my goodness. Yeah, now he's having normal Medvedev results. Dropping and now, set. This is unprecedented, unchartered territory, I should say, for him. And that means he, anything could happen, unfortunately. so. Yes. Well, we were wrong there. I will say that not that my Christopher O'Connell pick did not pan out. However, Opelka did make it further than T-Paul. So I did bet on the right American in that uh, bottom section. There. Yeah, this is true. This is true. The bro Opelka pick. <laughs> made it further yeah he beat... i had them playing each other yes and, which never came to fruition so yeah, yeah, that is true and i i think i did say that i i should have picked munar but he did beat him so i'm glad i did not yeah how about um, that huh all right and and mackenzie mcdonald came very close to beating garen so this was actually a very good section for the americans um comparative to previous Years yeah. slash other sections this year. I mean, even Marcos Giron got a set off of Garin and yeah. looked pretty good. Like yep. Dimitrov, obviously not in great form, but he beat Pela, and that's a really good clay core player. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. nothing to sneeze at there. I, they- I will say one of my most upsetting picks in this whole thing is the fact that Steve Johnson showed up out of nowhere, <laughs> literally out of nowhere, and defeated Tiafo. And then he didn't even stop there. He went on and beat Montero as well. So I... I don't know what happened, but I used to pick Steve Johnson a lot, pretty much just full heart pick because he doesn't even have an existent backhand. He only hits a slice, but he, he just won two matches here out of nowhere. Like <laughs> That really was out of nowhere. It's, that one is still shocking is, to me. It's beyond me, but... Um... That's also what I was wondering. I think he might be... He had a really good like run two, three years ago, so maybe he was still in there with some COVID points. I don't know, but... yeah. I, I'm not sure. Um, real, honestly, okay, yeah, so we'll jump up to the top half of this quarter. The Americans did have a, a very good, because we also had John Isner, who won a couple of matches, and then yeah. actually took the first on Tsitsipas. So, um, unfortunately, Korda uh, lost in his first round. I think maybe you, that was due to some fatigue. He lost pretty handily to 
Pedro Martinez here, who I do not know very well, but um, yeah, a little bit, I little know bit of surprise there. about as much about him as I do about Taberner, and um, <laughs> he beat him handily. So mm-hmm. I, I'm with you. I think it must have been a little bit of a hangover from having the big win before, but that that can be a little bit tricky, right? When you get the win in a lead-up tournament and then go straight into a Grand Slam, unless you're Djokovic, where that seems to be just like a warm-up thing for him, mm-hmm. where he suckered a bunch of qualifiers into Belgrade and then just destroyed all of them. So Yeah. <laughs> the second time. Second time Again. of the charm. <laughs> like Karatsev in this tournament. Baratini as well. <laughs> Not next time. Oh, man. Okay, any other thoughts on this bottom quarter, starting with Sitsipas from you? <sighs> Starting with Sitsipas, no. I mean, the Steve Johnson pick was the biggest one that messed me up there. Um, well, I did the exact same thing you did, though. I had TFO. I had, I had him going just as far, though, because I had TFO um, winning a couple matches until losing to PCB. Yeah, that's that's actually the biggest, other than the total bottom half of Medvedev, that one there is the bigger... That's going to be a big takeaway for me, too, because I, I also used to put a lot of confidence behind Tiafo in many tournaments. And it's not to say that that'll change, but I'm just really surprised that he lost that the way that he did. Yeah. Such it a was... commanding loss in the last two sets from Steve Johnson too, like where Tiafo yeah. was struggling to get on the board. I just don't understand it, but. And he had two, he had, he was up two sets to love. He was. It was it, it's odd. Something, something went on there. Not necessarily physically, but mentally, I think with Tiafo. So, that's uh, unfortunate. But hey, I, I'll root for Steve Johnson any day. So good for him. Yeah, uh, me too. Me too. At the end of the will. day, I, I also will. So that's cool yep. to see. No, that was those are the main things for me. Uh, okay. At least the Sitsipas pick has come through. That's the only one I have that made it. Yep, that's, that is it. Guardian yep. lost him, So yep. I, I also had Sitsipas there. So let's move up um, to the next quarter, starting with the bottom half of the quarter. This is Casper Ruud through Dominic Team. We saw a first round loss by Dominic Team here. Can you believe that? Unbelievable. Uh, unbelievable. 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 It's truly unbelievable. Now, I remember commenting on this last week that he has a very tough draw because he would have to go through first round Andujar, but then probably Del Bonus, which it did turn out to be. Um, and he didn't even make it through that first match uh, with Andujar, who. Had a very good convincing win over Federer, who we saw do pretty well in this tournament. Um, so we know he's he's playing at a high level. Um, but man, being up two sets to love and then and then losing, yeah, it, it makes me a little bit worried for where he is at um, mentally and physically. To be honest with you, it seemed I, I watched most of that match and. Yeah, I don't know. It's it kind of makes you wonder about this the style that it, in some of his darker days. So there was what was there like a year where Rafa was also in a little bit of a slump before mm-hmm. he got into like this mid thirties thing where people thought it could have been his age or his game changing. There was some time before he turned thirty when he also had a little bit of a down year, right? Um, but that was after he'd already been extremely successful, and a lot of people tried to attribute that to his gameplay, right? That it was super physical, required tons of movement, extreme consistency, and just all these things that are really hard to replicate time and time again. I think some people are 
also seeing a similar trend with Team's game, you know, where he needs mm-hmm. to be able to close matches in a really aggressive fighter kind of way where he stays in points for a long time and he eventually just wears guys out. And I don't know. It, I, don't, I don't have really a full, fully realized opinion, you could say, on that yet, but it does seem like he just has some trouble either getting into matches or closing them compared to how he had been playing in the past. And I don't know. It feels like some of the confidence factor is not there for him since he won the U.S. Open, which is a little bit strange. But um, I remember he made some comments about really feeling burned out after that win. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe there was something about crossing the finish line finally and doing it in such a physically exhausting way that maybe it changed his mindset a little bit. I have no idea. It's pure speculation. But... Yeah, I hope he finds a rhythm because it seems like um, it might be hard for him to get back to the way he was playing before and he's still trying to find whatever new rhythm he's going to be in for the future. So this mm-hmm. is kind of an unfortunate little capstone to a rough patch for Dominic Team, but I hope he can come out of it on the other side because this clay court swing is usually where he's the better player and not the worst one. So, Right. Yeah, Um I, I agree with everything you said there. It it seems like he's been having these problems since the Australian Open. Um, he really finished off last year pretty strong. He also made it to the finals of the Nitto ATP finals. That's um, right. After, yeah. you know, winning the U.S. Open. So he was still playing well after the U.S. Open. Um, but I did hear the same comments from him in that he had reached one of his, like, highest goals, which was winning a Grand Slam in the U.S. Open, and now he's kind of, where do I go from here? Um, I was actually watching, this might not be a good story to tell because I forget the details, but I was watching um, the top 10 players, uh, according to Tennis Channel in, in men's tennis uh, the other day, and there were one of the one of the greatest players of all time, I, I think it was Borg or someone like that who like nobody argues that they're a hall of fame tennis player had reached an achievement and then it might have been connor's yeah it might have been jimmy connor's but um they reached some kind of achievement that they had been longing after for such a long time and then they kind of lost motivation after that and i'm not saying that necessarily that's what's going on with team but i think that is one of the pieces to this puzzle that's going on with him where he is struggling to find like you know, like you said, you know, how how do I find my form again? Where do I go from here? Um, I think he is potentially uh, a future number one star. He has that kind of talent. He has that kind of capability. So I hope I hope he can get to that. But pretty much this entire year from the Australian Open, we've just seen him underperform to the level that that necessarily he should be at. So a little bit of a concerning loss for me here, but I really, really hope um, he can get back into form somewhere starting with the grass season. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I would think for sure by next year he'll be, he'll be back and competing for Grand Slams again. But Yeah. Um, I hope yeah. so too. I hope he can find some footing maybe on the grass. He hasn't had the best of results there, but a lot of players, honestly, in this era don't mm-hmm. get right. That's always kind it's of kind a... of a... And we'll talk more about this when we get into the grass season, but it's kind of a 
open field for most players outside it of is. Yeah. the established Djokovic and Nadal and Federer. Of course, we know who play well on grass, but I think a lot of these younger guys just don't have the experience on grass because of they didn't have a grass season last year. So it'll be it'll be kind of um, anyone's for the taking, I think, at least to make a deep run at Wimbledon or winning one of these um, warm-up tournaments or lead-up tournaments. I shouldn't call it a warm-up tournament. but um... Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, I mean, just finishing things up on the team record, I mean, that we got to give some or a lot, I mean, recognition to uh, Anduhar there because he also has a very cool story. He's also an older player, like a going-on-mid-30s kind of guy with uh, family and all these kinds of things who was having kind of like the second wind in his career. So, I mean, he's had two huge wins already this year, went out to Del Bonas in the next round, also in five, maybe a little bit gassed just from the huge win that he had before. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's cool to see guys come and go, come and go like that, but um, tricky time for Dominic team. I hope he can turn it around. Yes. Um, yeah, of course. Uh uh, many congratulations to, as as Nadal would say, many congratulations to uh, Andrew Hart. Many there. congratulations. Oh, well, well deserved, especially coming back from two sets to love against a guy like yeah, team, Dominic Team. That is some yeah. mental fortitude. So it is honestly incredible um, by him. So well he done. Was and, all and, out and of sorts in that Del- match too, man. I'm sorry, what? Andohar was all out of sorts too. He was chucking his racket at times. Like he looked like he was like, done. So yeah, man. It, is, it was crazy that he came back. Yeah. Okay, um, so let's move on into the other half of this section. I Now, this is where I got a little bit tilted. I was... <laughs> <laughs> you know I was rooting for my boy Rude here, and I... Oh, I was watching that Rude ADF match, you know, eyes glued to the television, and... What a thriller that one was. That Man. Up fifth set holy cow it doesn't look like it because it went to a tie break but trust me if you watched that um that last game where Falkina um I, I I guess I don't remember he either held serve to win it or he broke rude it was like 10 deuces long and it was insane and it, it was incredible and uh I also have backed Davidovich Falkina for quite a while now I feel like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, to do well so he's actually normally a player I would I would bet on and I would want to do well here but going against Rude who I had in the semifinals I obviously did not want to see him win that um, but he pulls it off so a huge win from him and um, oh, it was just tough that was if if um, if Tommy Paul lost by inches then uh, to Medvedev <laughs> then then Rude lost by centimeters like legitimately centimeters so hey, that's, um, that's apples and oranges this is two yeah. different scenarios <laughs> a loss was, by T Pain is that was, well that was tough frankly me nowhere to watch. near this match yeah yeah did you get to catch any of that one I did catch a little bit of it not the end unfortunately but okay yeah Davidovich Fakina is a really interesting character because like two or three years ago, he was kind of like the showman uh, who was kind of like up and coming. He used to do the, all those crazy dives and he had mm-hmm. like a lot of antics and he was really talented, but you weren't really sure like what he was going to, where he was going to go from there. And he was also kind of more like a string bean. And now in the last year or so, he's really bulked up and turned mm-hmm. into more of like this seriously physical player. 
So against many other players, if it wasn't Rude, I also had Rude here. I would have continued to pick him deeper into this tournament. Um, but man, I mean, that's a huge result. And what an opportunity for him now, you know, mm-hmm. going further into this tournament, I think. Where are we at here? He'll take on the winner of Nishikori and Zverev. Exactly. He's already through. So, I mean, that's a huge result for him. That's crazy. That's mm-hmm. another one I really wouldn't have called. I mean, I guess I could have, but I probably still wouldn't have made that decision. I, I never would have in the uh, circumstances. But uh, like I said, this was t- it was very tough for me to pick. I would like him in any other section, but of course he had to go against one of the most informed clay quarters of this year. Yeah. Rude, and he ends up taking him out, but... It, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. If I were to go back and not know that, then I would pick Rude every time. So, especially considering that he gave up the bagel the set before, like it looked like you know yeah. Rude was back to form and okay, like he's got the confidence, he's got him figured out. And then the fifth set was just a shootout. It's crazy. Right. That was a little disheartening to see because I was watching that fifth, uh, fourth set and it looked like Rude got the break and ADF was like, all right, we'll go five. He kind of just yeah. like let his foot off the gas and we see players do that. But I was a little bit surprised to see it out of Falkino because he, like you had said earlier, he's kind of a gopher broke dive all over the court. Kind of like he's your prototypical Spanish player, right? Very um, passionate and uh, fights a lot, big fighter. So um, a little bit surprised to see him kind of just throw away that fourth set there, but I knew the fifth was going to be a slugfest. It was a weird cadence in the match because he had a tiebreak win, a 2-6 loss, a tiebreak win, really close tiebreaker, a mm-hmm. bagel loss. And then, yeah, it's got to be tough to play if you're in root scenario as well because it's either like you get a completely 110% guy or the guy goes away after a break and then it's like, all right. So exactly. I mean, you know it's coming in the fifth set, but... Maybe this is a little bit of the Davidovich Fakina thing. He, I mean, like we were saying before, he used to be a little bit of a showman, maybe still is, but maybe this now translates more into something mental or kind of a strategic thing and not just a an on-court, uh, I don't know, antic or routine or something like that that you'd see from other players. So yeah. in any case, he keeps he keeps going and he it's looking winning. like... It's looking like going up to the next section of the draw, he's going to get Zverev. I mean... It is. Uh, so... Do you have these scores pulled up? The Zverev and Nishikori should be playing right now. Yeah, I see that one's running live, and Zverev's up Ooh. an early break. He's up, up 3-0. Break. I mean, this yes. this one could... Nishikori is more than capable of getting a set or even two off of Zverev, sure. but the problem is their head-to-head is just not good, and I think a three out of five. Nishikori's had two lung busters coming mm-hmm. into this and then got the retirement, which is good for him, but... Even then, I don't know. I mean, Zverev seems to be more or less informed now off the last two matches after having a really shaky start with this fellow <laughs> countryman. Little should we get, should we get in all that? Yeah, I think I think we have to have to take a look at that one. So, right. I mean, it's been the talk of the town, Evan. Your burner <laughs> pick. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> people just want to know why you did it. People being me, um, but. <laughs> You went with Taberner. We all know it. I went with Safulin. There was a, it was a coin flip for me. I have, I had no, so I have no malice, and there was no strategic impact in that one. It was just okay. luck that he won that match. But 
you're with Taberner, and then your wish almost came true with the Zverev mm-hmm. pick. Even if even if Taberner had lost, right, you would have gained the points on me having Zverev going further, like I do, because he was really looking shaky in that first round match. I was so happy. And the auto <laughs> pick, I mean, he's... He was a good player, but he has a really like unorthodox serve. He's not even that well known within Germany. Like I was listening to the commentators here talk about him, and like they know of him, but he's kind of a doubles guy. Also was injured at some point, so they didn't really have much anything of value to say about him. Not like about him, but they the, the commentators didn't know anything like interesting to communicate. So mm-hmm. they were also a little dumbfounded at what was happening. And then it was sort of like Zverev, you know, woke up and decided like, okay, I'm gonna play this match basically and then it was fine but a little bit of a weird start there at the beginning i would say man that went from uh like complete elation to complete (laughs) despair for me (laughs) because i saw zverev go from two sets to love to go on and win and i was like oh if he loses first round then my taberner picks good so that was my immediate thought and then you know, I didn't watch the Sefulin Taberner uh, match. However, oh, I, I saw him one. lose. <laughs> I saw him lose in a tight tiebreak and then win a convincing second set. So I thought, okay, he'll come back. He'll he'll win this in four, and then he goes on to lose six zero and six two in the next <laughs> the next two sets. So I went from like being at the top of the hill to being completely in the <laughs> ditch here, and. Um, and it never it never got better from there because Zverev just continues to win, and this is just this is one of those lessons where you you learn from your mistakes. I think I mentioned this on the last podcast. This is one of the first brackets where we had the qualifiers all set up well before we made the brackets, which was kind of my downfall because I went with a lot of qualifiers based on how well they played in the qualifying <laughs> to burner being one of those people and where he just dominated the qualifiers and then he loses to a fellow qualifier in the first round. Uh, so that'll, <laughs> that'll slap me on the wrist and tell me not to do that anymore. But um, it was one of those situations where I saw him doing well and Zverev, as we had mentioned before, and I, I think most people who follow tennis closely know he doesn't, if he's going to lose, it's going to be to a player you probably wouldn't expect. He doesn't necessarily show up in the matches he's, you know, he, I don't know how to word this politically correctly, but uh, matches where he's playing a player who's not necessarily at his caliber. Um, and I think we saw that in the first round against the the fellow German there in Adi because um, he's dropping the first two sets. And I thought, well, he's not going to look at a guy like Taberner and be like, oh, this is going to be any kind of uh, tough battle. Um, but then with his with Taberner's results, I thought, well, he could give him a battle. That could throw Zverev off. That could win. Uh, give him the win and and so that was my big upset and it just it didn't pan out there um and that was tough but now Zverev's getting into the people that he knows he's played Nishikori a million times he is a bad matchup for Nishikori um so yeah, I expect he really him to, is I expect him to hit him off the court here um out backhand him as it were but um who knows maybe 
maybe Fakina can can kind of grind out some points and and wears Verev down, but he's looking like um, a heavy favor to make it into the semifinals at this point. I think so too. I mean, maybe not, but I think it's pretty clear for him now. I think he's going to mm-hmm. be able to to pull through there. Let's see yeah. how he ends up doing. But this was a tricky section of the draw for both of us because I got the Mute pick wrong, and that match yes. that match was actually really kind of bizarre because um, Jerry was playing super well and. No, 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 sorry. No, no, yeah, it was Jerry in the mm-hmm, first round, mm-hmm. exactly. He was playing super well, but Mute was, like, having this existential crisis on court. It was a really weird one to watch. Like, there was one point where instead of taking a normal um, sit-down towel break at the changeover, um, <laughs> he opted to sit on, like, the side of the court on the concrete divider between him and the stands and just, like, stare into space for two and a half minutes. And then what's the person called the the ump called time he got up and then he won like two games in a row he started acting like he was going to come back but it was just not meant to be so yeah. i had that one called wrong and then the evans kechmanovich match that one surprised me too but evans just could not get his foot in the door in pretty much any of the second of the three sets after he won the first and that was it so yeah i uh i was a little more affected by that mute loss than you because i had him beating devins and um yeah, yeah those did cancel themselves out for us in the end uh, that we that both tough. had those calls but um yeah and then i see you had to burner with a, <laughs> like a three, three rounder on there so <laughs> when it was all said and done i needed rba to do well and he he lost a laxanin so yeah that was a weird that match was too. really I also the, didn't the, pick that, that one. nail in the coffin there so um what are you gonna do but yeah yeah, also, I had that one off, and I guess that was it for Laxon because then he retired, so. Yeah. <laughs> and then, if I mean, if we look above to the Frodo yep. Baggins area, we got a really interesting loss, I would say it, with Struff coming through over Rublev. Um, yeah. And Struff is now having actually a really good tournament. Very good I mean, tournament. Technically, after that, his draw is not that crazy. He's got Bonzi, not Baggins, and then he's got Alcaraz, which is no cakewalk. But Struff played a really good match against Alcaraz. Like mm, Baggins won that. Uh, sorry, sorry, I had Bonzi in here. Okay. Baggins did yes. win that one. Um, he beat exactly. He comes through. He beats Baggins, and then he also beats Alcaraz. Now he's yeah. going to get Diego Schwartzman, not Karasev. So <laughs> I don't know. That could be interesting. But Schwartzman apparently is in form now, so that might actually be a very tricky match. Yes. Um, there's a lot of red on my bracket in here, as it is yours, because I think this is one of our very similar ones. We had yeah, Schwartzman going out almost to identical. Bedenay, and then we had Karatsev coming through here, Rublev meeting him, um, Alcaraz going up to Rublev. So, yeah, Struff is... I, who would have guessed this? You know, no one. So I know. I feel like back in the day, I loved picking Struff because I thought he was capable of this stuff, mm-hmm. and here he is just proving that he is, and it's like... Uh, of course, I didn't pick him because that wouldn't have made any sense. But right, oh. he he is a tough draw in the first round. So I did go with Rublev, but I was thinking, man, Rublev got a bad draw. You know, being a seven seed and drawing Struff. Um, but yeah, and how about that for Rublev here too? Right, like we we are normally singing his praises. You are the Rublev fanboy, but mm-hmm. we both pick him like consistently. I would uh, say, yeah. and 
The Yi has been a little bit shaky as of late, which I think kind of went under the radar, you know? Because, like, yes, we noticed him drop out a little earlier than normal in some of the lead-up tournaments, but it never seemed like he was in some kind of trouble. And I don't know. Now we got him out in the first round. Not indicative maybe of where he's at, but still, it's a kind of a surprising loss, I would say. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I did notice he was playing a bit below his his typical level pretty much since Monte Carlo. He lost that final there to Tsitsipas, and he didn't really do well in Madrid or Rome, um, at least for what standards that I put upon him. Um, but but before the clay court swing, he was having a, a really good year. He was doing typical Rublev things. He was winning 500s. He was making it deep in tournaments. He was beating the people that he's supposed to beat. That's what Rublev is so good at, is he plays typically to the level that he he has. He doesn't play down to the opponent's level. Right, right? he never so gets he, dragged down. Yeah. Yes, he's such a consistent pick in, in my mind um, in those kinds of matches, and that's why I, I tend to go with him a lot. Um, but we're seeing a little bit of a dip right now um in his level which happens to everybody so i'm not concerned about it um but i'm hoping that he can get his footing i think he could be a dangerous grass court player he's really beefed up his serve he hits really big which is gonna drive through that fast court on grass so i'm hoping he he does well in one of these lead-up tournaments to uh, a wimbledon and then we'll see where he lands in the wimbledon draw um, but but yeah, really tough draw I think with Struff here, uh, and then couldn't couldn't pull it out in the end. But yeah, and then we've got the real killer in this section, which is Karatsev for both of yeah. us. Um, in or should what... we say Cole Schreiber? My goodness, <laughs> he was yeah. the killer for me because I went for Zasko. I, I know, I know. I mean, I, I again we talked about that one briefly because it was a, a vintage matchup. But I coin flipped mm-hmm. on Cole Schreiber and. Yep. He won that, I don't know, the last three sets fairly handily. And then, or in four, I guess he lost one of them there. But then for him to take out Karatsev, and then what what always irks me in these Grand Slam draws is when a guy takes out a major contender and then loses so easily in the next round. I mean, he didn't even put a scratch on Schwartzman. Which at that point no. is like the player that I would have thought he would have been able to go after. Exactly. So. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's what makes me so mad is because I look at the Australian Open, um, how he beat down on Schwartzman, and then I know Schwartzman is a better clay court player, but you could also um, argue that Krasov is a better clay court player than he is a, a hard court player. Maybe not anymore. Um, but know. I thought, yeah, if Schwartzman gets through. Bedene, then he won't get through Krasov, and he got through both of them. So. I know. And now I have to ask myself if I'm going to get off of that train or not, mm-hmm. honestly. I got to ask myself very honestly, in certain scenarios, if always for these early rounds, I think he's still a solid pick. Maybe Krasov, even in 250s, will play with a lot of confidence, but he, there's just no one else like him to compare him to. You know, there's no one who's had like a second career wind but still not in their 30s so it's not really like you know some kind of like last run like he still could easily be very successful in the next four years but Mm -hmm. i just don't know some of the results they seem shaky it is it is tough he is he's a very odd cat to judge i'll tell you that much i know he doesn't keep you much to work with either he doesn't (laughs) he doesn't yeah i know a couple podcasts ago i i fully got on the karasov train after he beat djokovic in belgrade 
um, at his home at Djokovic's home tournament. And I was like, okay, this dude is for real. He's just gonna, he's just gonna roll through people. He should roll through from here on out. And in, uh, in the last few tournaments in Rome here in Roland Garros, he has not done that. So I'm kind of in the same boat and I'm not sure where we go from here. Um, Exactly. Like, what do we do now? If we were to take a step back and be fully objective about it, we could look pretty cleanly and say that every time since this breakthrough that he starts getting a seed attached to his name, his results Mm -hmm. have been slightly lowered. I mean, that doesn't mean his draws get any easier. So, I mean, the level of play could also have dipped, but maybe it's got something to do with the recognition, the breakthrough. That certainly Mm -hmm. would change things for you mentally. I don't know. Some people really warm up to that. Your Musetti types, right? As they're very young. He's in a unique scenario, unique position. So, I don't know. Maybe maybe because he's a little older, he finds a way to deal with it quickly. But, yeah, that loss was real killer for my bracket. (laughs) Yes, um, mine as well. Because, like I said, we had similar... uh... That would have got us a leg up on the girls there because I don't think any of them had cross have coming through there. No, definitely not. Um, so that, that was supposed to be a changeover podcast yeah. uh, insight. <laughs> a win for the changeover as a whole. <laughs> we're, we're just getting by on scraps at this point. Oh, so. man. Inches, yeah. Okay. Um, any last thoughts on that section there? No, I think that about sums it up. So, okay. I mean... At least here, when if we look to the next one, we've got a little bit more stability, right? Yes, so, a little more green. So, exactly. The biggest one that killed me here so far has been the Senego loss, um, which uh, just irks me in general because the Lloyd Harris is actually really good at ruining my brackets because I generally don't <laughs> pick him. Um, even yeah. though I know he's really good, I mm-hmm. think he's either going to drop out or that he'll lose. But in the early stages of tournaments, he seems to be like really solid and... I don't know. Maybe Senego is at the end of a high right now, and that was it for him. But uh, he was supposed to be the guy to come through there in at least yeah. two matches. Um, I picked him also through Cam Nori, which again, I don't know why I just don't ever pick Cam Nori up until he plays <laughs> Nadal, for example. And there's no yeah. way he wins that. Yeah. Ugh, why did I do it? <laughs> yeah, I uh, I was fortunate enough to keep backing on the Nori train there. Um, so I actually had him getting up to the doll. The mm-hmm. guy has given me no reason to not pick him, being being Nori um, on clay, and he he keeps delivering. So he's solid. Um, he he's an interesting player because I saw him beat Schwartzman at I don't remember if it was the U.S. Open or Cincinnati because they were played at the same place with no fans. So I get those two tournaments mixed up at the end of last year. But um, he beat Schwartzman in like a five setter at the end of last year. And I remember thinking, man, Schwartzman should not be losing this match right now. He's just playing bad. This is not a um, product of his opponent. And now I feel a little bit bad about that because Nori has really came out this year and backed up that big win there into quite a good run in, in at least the clay court season because yeah, yeah. i mean he made the final in leon against Tsitsipas, and he did well at all the lead up 1000 tournaments and here he is doing about as well as he could you know until he gets to nadal and at roland garros and he's been one of the more consistent players so um i'm not I'm not fully on the Nori train like I am Karatsev, but uh, <laughs> he, uh, yeah, he never really disappointed this year. So 
Hey, um, maybe in a 250, he could be like one of those 250 kings. I mean, yeah, he seems like knows? a solid guy to make it deep in those kinds of draws. He so, is, yeah. Even here, um, beat, have beat a good chunk of players to get through. So, yeah, yeah. I also had Senego over Harris there, but um, then I had I had Nori over that. So, um, I don't know. Yeah, Harris is a tough one to bet on because he's either playing lights out or or he's he's losing in straights. So, yeah, yeah. I won't go or he's into injured. More, yeah, more detail than that because you already covered it. But uh, I think out of this section, we kind of have the matchup we thought we would have in Sinner and the Doll. So, not a yes. In the end, it comes yeah. through. Yannick Sinner escaping death in his first round match. Mm-hmm. Crazy. I think he saved a couple match points there. But that was also a terrible first round match. Like, yeah, yeah. He drew we did talk Herbert. about that yeah. Oh, man. That is that is tough. Um, so he does come through like we kind of expected, but it was tough like we also expected in that one. And then um, one quick surprise here was Mike Mikael Emir um, out of Sweden. He... Uh, Gets through Monfi and um, yeah, it, that was Car- Carbea Banya is also a pr- he's he's had some okay results, beat him in five, um, but that was a good win for him as well. So many congratulations to him too. I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely that was a huge win for the young guy. I think because I I also really thought this was going to be the one where Monfi made it through a couple mm-hmm. rounds, but maybe still a little shaky there, but. Yeah, Immer, Immer, Weimer, he's, he's nothing to sneeze at for sure. He's had yeah. some good results, and that was a big win for him, I think. Yeah, I don't know and, how to uh, say his name either, but I've heard I've heard he's a Weimer, pet. which yeah, I don't think is right. Emer? Okay. Emer. Or maybe it's just <laughs> completely silent. Mer. Mer. <laughs> <laughs> Mikhail uh, Mer. We didn't. We didn't even spend any words on Rafa there, which is pretty telling of wow. Rafa's current performance because there's nothing to talk about. I mean, there's literally no drama coming through as far as yeah. I'm concerned. You know, I'll talk about him all day. I think. Um, I think Sinner could pose a challenge. I think Sinner could take a set on him. Um, yeah, they definitely. faced off. This is a rematch of where we saw them last year. Uh, Nadal won in straight sets. However, Sinner served for the match. Or, I'm sorry, for the set in the he first set for last set. year. He, exactly, um, that's right. And he, I think Sinner's just another year older, another year experienced. I think Nadal... No, I'm not going to say that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Sinner could potentially win a set here, but I expect Nadal to win it in four, I will say. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I don't think any of that experience can hurt Sinner, but we do know also that Rafa's playing against younger players especially and the more you get into a head-to-head um he tends to learn from those early matches and really pounce on any weaknesses that those guys have so right and they've uh, played each uh, other this year again already exactly they have that rome matchup which was close it was a really good match but that's when rafa wasn't even in his like that was when we were all still wondering like is he confident we don't really know and then he ended up being totally confident beat him in straights really close but I don't know. This He's, is going to yeah. be such a tough one for Sinner. But he will have the best three of five here to get. So maybe he can let himself settle in and really take a hold of one of those sets. I think that's realistic to say that at least exactly. goes four. Yep. I think so too. I think, God forbid, it goes five. Nadal will outlast him. Um, yeah. Then we're talking interesting territory to right. back on. But. Um, Sinner, yeah. he, he does. He's going to have a fire going into this one because he's got a couple losses now. And. 
uh, he's I mean the flip side he's one of the best up and coming guys right so he's also yes. going to have a few tricks up his sleeve I would expect to try and pull that match off but yeah yeah he also know. he um I won't spend too much time on this um but he is one of those players that I think in the future will trouble Rafa a lot because he has such a big game and he also is so mentally strong at for his yeah. age um I don't expect him to go into this match and play timid whatsoever. I expect him to fire away and he'll walk out there expecting to win that match. And that's one of the things that I do love about Sinner and his game and where his trajectory is headed in his career. Um, So I, you know, I don't, I don't think he's going to roll over by any means, even if he's two sets of love down, um, he could take that third and then, and then who knows what, but um yeah, he's he's just so strong mentally, and I think he hits so big that maybe potentially in the next coming years he'll he'll build up some kind of rivalry with Nadal. Yeah, no, I think so too. I think it's a really good point. Sinner, always even if he comes out of a match where everybody else expected him to lose, he always acts like he you know could have done something different or he's ready to come back and try harder next time. So it's gonna be really cool to see how that one turns out. If if Rafa keeps to form though, man, he's mm-hmm. he's looking good for the foreseeable future. And if he gets out of that one, you can you can argue he that's like a cakewalk. Then he gets Schwartzman yeah. or Struff, which it won't be an easy match. I mean, Schwartzman I guess is technically dangerous against Rafa, right? But not yeah. in this setting. I mean, I think I'm in the same boat as you that this match will probably be tougher than the next match for him. Yeah. Yeah. But then we're getting closer back to the legendary territory if we look mm-hmm. up top where Djokovic is at here because we both had the Berrettini call. That's looking good. He mm-hmm. gets the Federer walkover, which we'll get into a little more detail on here maybe just about what does that even mean, right? But um, mm-hmm. the thing that killed me here was my Taylor Fritz call. Um, <laughs> nuts. I. It's the same kind of thing, though. It's the same sort of weird thing actually with these – He's flipping Germans. I mean, Struff, a guy I would normally pick, but mm-hmm. not in that scenario. I probably wouldn't change that. But here with Kupfer, there are definitely scenarios where I would have picked him over Fritz. I just thought that Kupfer wasn't playing that well as of late. He's been winning pretty handily, actually. He had a good tournament and a good win over Fritz, like really solid and four super close sets against Fed, even though he lost. And mm-hmm. it seems apparent that, that really took you know the the strength out of Federer to even pull that off. So... Like it with Federer pulling out almost immediately thereafter, or the next day, basically he he gave it his all there, right, to try and get out of that match. So this section is is a little bit interesting now, I'd say, because I mean, what do we get here? We're gonna get Berrettini, and we're gonna get likely or already, yeah, likely Djokovic. I guess they'll have Musetti, um, yes. but I don't know. <laughs> Maybe just a quick word to this: the Federer dropout. Um, I have the, the, or a question maybe have you heard mm-hmm. anything about if Federer is hinting at hinting at retirement at Wimbledon because I've read only some things here in the German press that he's already confirmed some tournaments for 2022 like after that season but I don't know I always had this feeling that he was going to retire potentially at Wimbledon this year like that's why he's making such a big focus on the huh. grass season saying like that's where I'm going but have you heard anything in that direction or like um that's a good question i actually i have not um i've i think it's close to the chest i don't think it's really come out actually i think it's all speculation then 
You know, I, I've been reading into it a little bit, just on him dropping out of this tournament a little bit, and really nothing is talked about him retiring at Wimbledon. However, that's not, you know, not a not a ludicrous idea to think that I, w- I would expect him if when he retires it to be at Wimbledon, right? Me um, too. Exactly. I don't, he seems to still be playing well, especially when I look at this tournament for him, he, who, who's to say he wouldn't beat Berrettini in this matchup. He ended up pulling out, but, um, you know, he's still got gas in the tank. So, I mean, maybe, uh, it's tough to tell, um, but I do know he is he has his eyes set on Wimbledon and the grass court, which we kind of all expected. But I guess from my mind, I didn't expect quite to this degree where he's pulling out of another major tournament to prepare for Wimbledon. Right? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, if you take a quick look at at least the social media friendly statement he released, as he basically says after discussions. With my team, I've decided I will need to pull out of the French Open today, so being earlier this afternoon. After two knee surgeries and over a year of rehab, it's important that I listen to my body, make sure I don't push myself too quickly on my road to recovery. I'm thrilled to have gotten three matches under my belt. There's no greater feeling than being back on a court. So, seems to leave it there, you know, saying he's he's not going to push it, he's not going to risk it any further. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's gonna be. I'm just. I'm just wondering what where all this will show up at Wimbledon. If if he's feeling like he would have another year still after mm-hmm. these results, maybe it depends on how he does. Maybe it'll be a touch and go situation. You know, if he doesn't feel like he has another year in him after Wimbledon, uh, maybe that's a different story. If he does, maybe he'll go another year. I. Yeah, I exactly. I've also wondered about that too. You know, like. Um, some of, some of the great retirements of all time, right? They're usually announced going into a particular tournament, you know, mm-hmm. like, or I guess that's probably more common than not. It's not that often unless it's really forced by injury, you know, like what could happen maybe with, well, Murray's back. I mean, who knows? But I feel like top players, they will try to retire in a little bit of a planned fashion. So yeah, I feel like then... we'd get some notice on this one, maybe if that does end up being the case. Right the one thing that I always think about is Andy Roddick's retirement. Like I've watched him yeah. in interviews say he literally woke up one morning. and was like, I'm going to retire today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so he went into that U S open, not planning to retire. And then he woke up and I mean, th- those are his words. And he was like, yeah, I, I think I need to retire. And then in the press conference that night, he said, this is my last U.S. Open. I'm retiring after this tournament. So it's it's Wait, so after hard he to... lost a match or just after he... I thought no. he went into that one somewhat planned. I missed that one. Um, it, I think it was after the tournament started before he lost. Yeah. So okay, he so but went... it was still known at least before the match, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that. I'm saying he went into the tournament not, a, not like fully set on retiring, but then, like mid-tournament, he was still in it, and he was like, "Yeah, this this has got to be my last one." Yeah, and, um, and then I think he went on to win one or two more matches, but um, beating 
Lord Tomic in that in that tournament. <laughs> Imagine if that was his last match. <laughs> Gosh, you can't. He probably would have just kept it up for another year, most likely. <laughs> yeah, he ended up losing to Del Potro, which is not a bad loss to go out on uh, at the U.S. Open. Oh but, yeah. Um, okay, yeah, you're right though. I remember that it was at least somewhat announced, but not super planned. But it was still, kind same of kind of thing. Blue. Like you try to you try to give it some notice. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't. But I, I mean, don't know. A guy I, like Federer, that's it. I just feel like that one's going to be so coordinated. Right. It has I to know, be. Like the I sport know. probably can't even different... cut ties with him correctly without mm-hmm. knowing six months in advance when he's going to retire. So I know. I you wonder I don't know what happens with the powers that be in the background. <laughs> yeah. Um, a couple years ago, I think, I think it was after his 2017 Wimbledon win. I was telling you that. Yeah, he should win this tournament and retire after that. Do you remember me saying that? Like right off into the yeah. sunset. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I fully expected him to. And here he is still going deep in Grand Slam tournaments um, at the age of pretty much 40. So I pretty yeah. much after that, I just gave up all kind of speculation on when he's going to retire. And I'm just happy for when he's here and that he's winning, you know. Yeah, I I agree, especially after like the whole second comeback scenario where he pulled off that, yeah, the Australian Open tournament and then all these other crazy deep run results. I don't know. Now it feels it feels just like it's such a long shot, you know, with his physical health, with everything that's in Mm -hmm. place. I don't know the precedent. It's just it's a crazy scenario. So it's going to also have a completely unprecedented finish, of course. We won't have anything else like it, really. I have been on the record as saying, I'm pretty sure I've been on the record. (laughs) Go back and listen to previous changeover podcast episodes for uh, the record. Um, That (laughs) I think Federer has a legitimate shot to win this year's Wimbledon. Um, And I think he's, he knows that too. Um, Especially how 2019, you know, shook out. So, um, maybe I don't know. I just I know he has this year in him for sure, and um, whether he has twenty twenty two in him, I I don't know. But um, I expect him to to fully compete uh, for this year's Wimbledon. So yeah, I think it's it's definitely still feasible. I think it's a completely realistic statement. I will say I don't know. I don't. I feel I feel further away from that he's in the running for it, but. Now that's the next big thing, right? I mean, he's dropped mm-hmm. out here. That's where we're going next. So now we get to we get to see what's happening with it, I feel like. But also, and, and you know, we're getting a little long on this one, so I'll, I'll try to wrap it up here. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I feel like the way that he takes time off now and can still come back at a moment's notice and play, who's to say that he can't just, you know, take some time off again and make it to next year's Wimbledon? You know, we've seen him take yeah, an maybe entire... he only plays Wimbledon from now on. Pretty much. <laughs> but, <laughs> but we've seen him take less, an entire yeah. clay court season off. I expect him to still play the U.S. Open. Maybe uh, Cincinnati or Toronto. Maybe the ATP Finals, should he make it. But playing three more tournaments this year, well, four, um, potentially, then maybe he does have another year in him. Who knows? Is who's to say? I don't think that's too much to ask. But he's also been, you know, trailblazing the scene for a forty-year-old man to potentially be in the running for 
uh, grand slams, which we've never seen before. So it's, exactly. it's just tough to, exactly. tough to say. And if you read, you don't even have to read between the lines on these kinds of statements, right? But the statement is very vague on purpose. I mean, mm-hmm. he's not saying here that he's pulled out because he can't play on this knee. He's saying he's pulling out because this is his, he said it many times, his goal was not to win this tournament, right? So, mm-hmm. which is kind of a weird thing if you think about the sport in general, and especially Roger Federer going into it, knowing he's not going to win. It's like, then he's kind of just coming there to get the match experience, basically. So you know, if you're not playing to win the whole tournament, then his knee could be perfectly fine and he just feels like it's going to go wrong again or something, you know, and decides to pull out. So that's the big question. It's Mm -hmm. left vague on purpose so that no one really gets to say what is or isn't his status. Only he can say that. So that will be the next big thing is to see exactly what he's going to do. But to your point, it's a little bit like if he's in a similar scenario at Wimbledon per se and say his body in these words is telling him that it's, too much and that this is pushing it on the road to recovery does he put that to the side and play through it like how much further could that go you know talking about a guy that's like never retired in a match ever so Mm -hmm. you know that's not going to be on the table he's basically going to like hobble off the court if that's what it would take so yeah Mm -hmm. i think that's the only thing that could prevent him would be the physical element so we just have to see what happens with it right i the last thing i'll say is that i think probably fetter doesn't even know if he's going to retire at Wimbledon, um, yeah, maybe he be. will, but I don't think at this point he's willing to say that um, he can't go even further. Um, it just kind of depends. So it's all touch and go. So it'd be pointless for us to kind of hash out if he is or not. Um, but um, I'm not saying it's not possible, but I, I, like I said, I think it just all depends. Um, and like you've been saying as well. Yeah. We have to see what he ends up doing. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that was a good section there. Um, any thoughts on the very top here with Djokovic? What uh, what form do you see him in? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's showing no forms of doubt. Yeah. He's not having any issues at all. And Musetti I've, is two picks against me. Cecchinato actually seemed like a pretty good pick for both of us here and mm-hmm. did do well, um, but then gets beat in a tough one by Musetti. And I will say, I I don't know. I would just be absolutely stunned if Musetti oh, e- even took it to five with Djokovic, quite honestly. I mean, I just think the mental element there is going to be hard. Musetti in the match against Cecchinato lost something. He, I was watching the end of that one. He lost like eight match points before he finally put him away. And that's nothing against either of them. I mean, he was playing well, and this is his best result by far in his career. So it's really tough against a guy he knows, Chikonato as well. It was a great match. But I just feel like Djokovic is, there's no way. But, yeah. I mean, let's see. Maybe Chikonato shows, uh, sorry, Musetti shows up and is in good form. He always is a great starter. That's the cool thing about him. So maybe he'll have a chance to try and get some momentum early on. Yeah. I don't know. This the rest of the section seems pretty cut and dry. Humbert, <laughs> another disappointment. Again, yeah. maybe he's another train guy I need to hop off of before it <laughs> ends up like <laughs> like my Tommy Paul pick, before it ends up lost in the woods somewhere, being <laughs> growing moss and You're growing moss on the train. Rolling off the rails, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. That's how I see it. Yeah. I um same boat as you. I, I actually bet against Musetti in the first round here to lose to Goffin, but um <laughs> He, he came through. Um, he's still doing well, so it's good to see him doing well. But 
I don't see him even taking a set off Djokovic, if I'm being honest with you. I think he might give him a, a good fight in the first set. But if he doesn't win that first set, it's going to be downhill rolling for Djokovic in this one. Um, he's he's there. Djokovic is 100% there. Um, so uh, what I... I don't know if this is bad form, but um, what I'm excited to see is how he plays against Berrettini because I think Berrettini could be the first like real test for Djokovic and he's also coming off a walkover. So he's going to be very fit and, you know, rested. Um, he also has a, a big game, big service, big forehand he could, you know, potentially give Djokovic some trouble. It just depends on what kind of Djokovic we see out there. Um, but I'm looking forward to that one coming out of this section. Yeah, that one should be highly competitive in any case. Um, Bertini's a, definitely back in form so if we're looking ahead great. to that one mm-hmm. that that should be a much better match so the thing we haven't touched on yet is this, the really the end of the draw so i think yes. like you mentioned we're in pretty similar alignments i mean so far what i have at the end of at the semifinals is Djokovic still coming through the Berrettini match, which we both have called so far, I think will be close, but if Djokovic is in top form, he should win it. Then we got Rafa who yeah was beating Karatsev at the time. <laughs> I don't know who he's going to get now, but yeah. it should be easier than that. And team is unfortunately out, but he's who I had picked against Tsitsipas who now has to get through Medvedev in order for that to happen. Or tennis gal might beat us. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I am in a similar boat as you. Um, I also have Djokovic Nadal. And then I had Casper Ruud actually getting through team. As we know, he lost to Davidovich Fokina, which... But uh, it's all <laughs> so right. Close. It was so um, close. Either way, we we don't have that section coming through. And then I had him up against Tsitsipas, who is quietly having a, a massive tournament. Um only dropped the one set to Isner. We know he has some trouble against big servers, so I'm not super shocked to see that. But then easy win against Pablo Carina-Busta. Um, and now he's going against Medvedev, uh, who has kind of had a resurgence here on clay. But Tsitsipas has been here all year. So I expect him to win that in three, potentially four sets. Yeah, I think he's yeah, going to be out for blood to get another match on yeah. his head-to-head there. Uh-huh. There's... There's no way that Tsitsipas doesn't lose or There's doesn't win no. that match. Like, <laughs> Take it to the bank right now. Tsitsipas will beat Medvedev. I would invest my life savings on that match. <laughs> Mark oh. my words. <laughs> Good thing you guys can't hear the conversations we have before the podcast starts. <laughs> or else you would be in deep financial trouble. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Uh, did you ever watch The Tiger King? <laughs> no i just mostly caught up with all the memes that came afterwards. exactly i never watched it either but i caught up with the memes and there's one where he says i'm never gonna financially recover from this <laughs> and that could be a meme i'm never gonna financially recover from listening to the changeover podcast <laughs> uh, yeah exactly the, the president there would require that you came in here expecting good advice. So <laughs> <laughs> I feel if, like this tournament solidified uh, at least this half of the changeover podcast. 
<laughs> we fly by the seat of our pants over here in uh, Indiana. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it depends on the tournament. This is the first one where I've had decent results and they're still not. I think I'm beating you by one pick currently, so it still makes no difference. And there's also a real shot we could lose to Tennis Gal. Yeah. Again, this is her first bracket and she doesn't even watch tennis. If that happens, then we are officially changing the genre of this podcast from sports (laughs) and tennis to just straight up comedy or just straight comedy. I don't know. Discussions. We we put the moldy take of the week in here to kind of take heat off of us making bad picks. <laughs> but if that happens, then we have to change the entire brand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, most definitely. That would be the straw that broke the camel's back. <laughs> okay, so out of these semifinalists, who do you have in the final and who do you have winning? So then I've got Tsitsipas and Rafa. I think Rafa will beat Djokovic because I at this point especially after last year if Djokovic found some way to beat Rafa at this tournament at that stage mm-hmm. then uh, I'm gonna expect that you firstly burn the shoes and <laughs> live as a blind man for the rest I, of your that's life that's exactly right that's exactly right <laughs> and then <laughs> you know I would <laughs> well especially if he beats rafa because that would just be so oh, unbelievable forget about it <laughs> that would be that would be so ridiculous i'd rather go blind <laughs> and then i mean i had then i had team in Sitsipas, um which was would have been a blockbuster but mm-hmm. we're likely here to get Sitsipas and mm, uh i don't know at this point what still could be del bonus or no no that one's over no. What at this point could be probably Zverev. <laughs> yeah, the bonus did not come through. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a moldy take for sure because he's already lost. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, then in the final, Tsitsipas, Rafa, it should should happen. I think Tsitsipas has the five set win on him at the Australian Open, coming back from two sets down, pulling off something that is one of those like. Uh, those dumb things that commentators bring up, like Rafa's only lost 0.02% yeah. of his matches from this scenario, and then Sitsipas <laughs> did it. On this, in this occasion, though, I still think it's totally different. I think Rafa's in form. I think he's winning the whole thing again. That's what I've got. Yes. And as far as I know, we have very similar takes from this point. Is it correct? Yes, I have um, pretty much the same thing. As I mentioned before, I had Rude instead of Team, but Similarly, that does not matter. Um, we could see Zverev, or we could see Fokina, but I expect Zverev in there. But Tsitsipas is for sure my favorite to come out of there to meet Nadal in the final. Um, now, I think Nadal Djokovic could be a little interesting because I think facing Nadal outside of the Roland Garros final yeah. is probably a better bet than facing him in the final if you're Djokovic. So, with the fire of the Grand Slam race, let's say Djokovic pushes him to five, but I still expect Nadal to come out of that um, because to win three sets on Nadal at Roland Garros is something that's only happened twice, and one of or both of them were a little bit questionable on what form Nadal was in. Um, not taking anything away from his opponents, but um, there's always... I don't know. It just seems like it's a little bit fishy, to be honest with you, after a guy's won, what, 103 matches there. 
Um, and then Sitsipas has been in the best form out of anyone on clay, to be honest with you, even more so than Nadal. But facing him, facing Nadal in a final is way different than facing him at the quarterfinals of the Australian Open. Um, so yeah. I, I don't I don't expect Sitsipas to ever, well, I shouldn't say ever, but in this scenario to win that matchup. And I think Nadal would probably beat him in four at the worst. Um, so, yeah, we, we have similar finals. Um, pre, at this point, similar semifinals um, to who comes through with Nadal winning. I will say one one last quick shout out to Tennis Gal. Um, <laughs> we keep calling her that, but uh, that is my fiance. She has Sitsipas winning the entire thing over Nadal. So stay tuned because if Sitsipas either beats Nadal or beats Djokovic to win the entire thing, she will probably win this bracket challenge. And we as an entire podcast will just implode um, upon ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> and and we'll have to turn into like a, a self-help podcast <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, Hannah has made an extremely intelligent pick there in it, just going with the counter option, right? Exactly. Because, because it's totally realistic is the challenge sure. for us. And, and that's the only way to win, really, at this exactly. point. Exactly. I mean, then we've got, and she's had a good, she's got the least amount of correct picks, but she's had them at the right time to keep mm-hmm. her in the running. And yeah, we've also got Samantha, who's the reigning Grand Slam champion, I think, from the Australian Open. Yeah. But she has, at this point, the same picks that we do. She has exactly yeah. the same picks as us, actually, yeah. verbatim. So, mm-hmm. so I think there's actually no way that, uh, that, she, <laughs> that she cannot come in last. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> tiptoe around that. <laughs> um, but it is, at this point, very neck and neck. Um uh, I'm right behind Ben. Unfortunately, I don't think I can catch you, but just three points behind. Just a mere three points behind. And then uh, again, it, if it's about, it, Hannah can still get points on me with Zverev beating Nishikori, which is entirely possible. Um, and then, and then of course, Sitsipas winning the entire thing um, to come out on top. So she could potentially win this entire thing with the least amount of correct picks. <laughs> How funky is that? That would be an Aslan Karatsev move. That would. For Tennis Gal, that would be indeed. <laughs> uh, well, we are at just about at time here. Um, <laughs> we were talking before the podcast, and we were like, yeah, we're going to be fine on time, even with no agenda. <laughs> yeah, that was the best thing about this one is it was just pure rambling. So It is rambling. It was fun to go through section by section, so we hope you guys got something about um, got something out of it. Yeah, definitely. And this um, was just us on a Sunday night, so I, you know, I enjoyed it. Yeah. If you, as a listener, enjoyed even thirty seconds of this, then just check out all our other episodes. There's so yes. so much to, so much more to learn here in the changeover. That's right. We're trying to build a brand at this point. <laughs> Fourteen episodes in, and we're trying to build the brand. <laughs> you know. You know, okay, this is way out of left field, but I'm the only, I'm currently the only guy in my house. I'm outnumbered three to one. So, you know that movie, The Princess Diaries? 
Uh, I, I, yes. <laughs> the, like Anne Hathaway's breakthrough uh-huh. movie? Uh-huh. Okay, well, in that movie, she's got a best friend who has, like, a radio talk show. Mm-hmm. And no one goes to that radio talk show. <laughs> and there's a pivotal moment in the movie when she's supposed to go to the radio talk show, but she has some kind of princess obligation. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> it gets in the way, so she can't go to the talk show. And, well basically what the changeover got compared to at this point was that (laughs) that radio talk show (laughs) and everybody else's obligations were the other princess (laughs) the poor changeover yeah but i mean the good thing is that radio show as far as i know continued on in the movie mm-hmm. it was not mentioned in the sequel which probably means it had a successful undertaking and it didn't even need to be mentioned and that's our future <laughs> that's right <laughs> <laughs> the princess diaries talk show <laughs> well <Yeah>. um <laughs> i don't know how much more i could say about that is that better or worse than a self-help podcast? Yeah, I don't For, know. You know, <laughs> you know, when you started out as a tennis podcast, I mean, nothing wrong with uh, any of those self-help podcasts out there. But if your goal was to be a tennis analysis podcast. <laughs> I know. Basically, all we're saying is that if you would listen to our self-help podcast, that we are supremely um, unqualified for it. And if somehow that one did better, that would even be more of a kick to the cojones. <laughs> Yeah, precisely. Talking here about two fans who are trying to bring you some experts, expertise and insights, and we just keep getting knocked down in these tournaments. But I feel like, you know, we got a solid positive trend going on here. So we we are starting to trend upward a little bit. And I think the best thing we have going for us is that we are still learning along with you guys and we're having fun doing it. So that's all that matters. And um as long as it's fun, we're going to keep doing it. Just like Fed and the doll keep saying, as long as we're having fun playing tennis, we're just going to keep doing it. So, Exactly, exactly. And all we're looking for is our Djokovic. <laughs> That's all we need is a Djokovic. <laughs> that could be Tennis Gal 228. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, is that about to sum it up for... Uh... Week one of Roland Garros. I think I think that's week one. All right. Well, with that being said, um, for me, Evan, and uh, for Ben as well, thank you again for tuning in to episode fourteen of the Changeover Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us again. Please, if you enjoyed any of it, consider telling your friends, family. Um, shoot us an email. Uh, email in the description below, and uh, we hope to see you all back here for episode 15 which will be a recap of the Rolling Games Championship. So thanks again and we'll see you in the next one.